Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid in free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. Hello, my name is Dave Hannity and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, and the year is 2003. Once again, we are going back to look at Irish albums from a given year, and that year, as I said, is 2003. I have assembled a panel of experts for this year in particular. I have Tara Stewart from 2FM. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. I have Stephen Byrne, editor of Golden Plaque. Hello. Paddy McKenna of Joe.ie. Hello. And John Barker of Press Accord and Totally Irish, a champion of the Irish music scene on 98FM. Hey, Dave. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? Thank you all for coming, uh, and thank you all very much for making the time. It's an interesting year, 2003. Before we kind of get to the Irish aspect of it all and the album aspect of it all, a lot of stuff happened that year. Uh, Johnny Cash put out the music video for Hurt, which, you know, was kind of a ri- widely regarded as one of the best music videos of all time. And uh, he would pass away that year at the age of 71 in September. Rob Trujillo joined Metallica as their bass player, uh, which is uh, documented fantastically in the Some Kind of Monster documentary, which I just urge people to go and watch. Even if you even if you hate that band, it is Spinal Tap. Especially if you hate the band. Yeah, that, that's fair. It, <laughs> and his son is now geeking, so that's how, that's yeah. how long ago 2003 His 12-year-old son is the new temporary basis for Korn. <laughs> uh, Avril Lavigne kicked off her first headline tour that year as well, 2003. That makes me feel very old. <laughs> the Dixie Chicks got in a bit, lot of trouble when they did a gig in the UK and said that, uh, just so you know, we're ashamed that the President of the United States is from Texas, that being George W. Bush. They were dropped from radio playlists all over the US and received death threats as a result, which is uh, quite the overreaction. (laughs) After a 40-year wait, Russian fans got to see Paul McCartney performing their swell for the first time as he did a gig in the Red Square in Moscow. And uh, Ozzy Osbourne was rushed into emergency surgery after having a serious accident riding an ATV on the grounds of his English estate. He broke his collarbone, eight ribs, and a vertebrae in his neck. 
but he's still with us because he's Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> At least he's still with us at the time of recording. If anything has happened in between, <laughs> I can only apologise. I thought he broke a collarbone and ate ribs. I thought, like, that's incredible. He's, <laughs> he's still able to eat ribs. Even in the hospitals must he's be. got, like, a dodgy collarbone. I haven't, haven't broken my collarbone. I, I'm hugely impressed with that. It wouldn't shock me, though. Like, the man can do pretty much anything. Okay, got it. Uh, in film, the highest grossing picture of the year was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King followed by Finding Nemo and The Matrix Reloaded. So, you know, lots of blockbuster fare there, which we still suffer through every summer. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was sworn in as the governor of California, and uh, Roman Polanski is the pianist swept up in the awards categories. I believe he won the Oscar for Best Director, but couldn't attend because he's not allowed into that country, which was a strange thing altogether. In sport, Australia defeated England in the Ashes. They trounced them. Uh, Ken Doherty almost won the World Sneaker Championship for a second time. He lost 18-16 to Mark Williams. And in the Australian Open in tennis, Andre Agassi won his final ever Grand Slam before retiring three years later. So, yeah, a lot going on in the old pop culture, but we're going to focus on Irish music. Now, we tend to find that with the revisit, like, we get to situations where the more, the later the years kind of get, the more albums that there are to consider. And I don't know how much of that is a combination of bedroom recording and or just, like, independent bands kind of going it alone and even, like, access to the material itself. But with this list, uh, I found it hard enough to whittle down. And there was a couple of shouts that didn't make it in particular. I know Tara had put forward a couple that didn't make our final five, one of which was Damien Dempsey's Seize the Day. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting record, I find, because I remember that, that was the first time I ever heard anything by him. I d- never knew who he was. I was in a friend's house, and they threw it on. And, like, I have to confess, I was a bit ignorant. I just was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, like, yeah. like, I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never heard... Uh, his timber I'd never heard like like that style and it's not just like your classic like Dubliners thing like he really kind of goes it alone in his own kind of weird way but like I have to say I found it a very very acquired taste but once I kind of got onto it I was like this is great yeah. and I was surprised to see that they didn't actually make the shortlist but uh, you'd be a champion of that record? Um, I'm a champion of Damien Dempsey more um, but to be honest like I'm from Australia from a, a very small place called Alice Springs and that didn't travel there at the time so out of all the records I was like right what do I have history with well Westlife of course that was played on every single radio station Snow Patrol as well and uh, yeah Damien Dempsey I'm just a big fan so that's why I wanted to try and put that in Westlife's turnaround was also it, it almost made it it actually like much to much to Stephen's disgust it almost made the final five I, I would have rather it would have made it than one of them okay okay oh. we'll, we'll, we'll get there you have beef with one of the records but uh, Westlife's <laughs> turnaround which is famous for including their reworking of Relish's uh, Rainbow Zephyr to Hey Whatever you know really kind of yeah. mathematical mechanics there and uh, their cover of Mandy is on there as well I believe That's a, it's a one two <coughs> opener Mandy number one Hey, whatever, number two. That's the old one-two that's going to set you up for an awesome album. I do think it's not, like, it's no Unbreakable Greatest Hits Volume 1, which uh, I think was the year before, which features, obviously, Swear It Again, Fool Again. Fool Again? Fool? What's the Fool song? No, there's definitely a song with Fool in the title um, and some classics. Uh, I I did vote that we would maybe talk about Westlife at some stage, but... Strictly in an ironic sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Strictly yeah. ironic. Yeah. I, th- I think I would rather have had Westlife than Damien Dempsey, to be honest. Yeah. I think, yeah. I don't know. The yeah. Damien Dempsey thing, I just never, I don't I don't get now, but I certainly didn't get in 2003 when when I probably heard him for the first time around then. It's like, it, it, it's that cliche thing about him, like angry man with a guitar shouting. And like, there's, I, I was thinking like Damien okay you you can be angry about stuff but like have a bit of fun doing it like play a bit of guitar like I, I loved angry music when I when I was growing up and in my early 20s and probably still now but there's, there's a fun way of doing it and I don't know he just um, yeah 
I think uh, the thing with Damien though is that, and I, I, it's funny because like you have discussed Damien before in Revisit, and he is somebody that divides opinion, right? Mm. And but like the people that are pro Damien, God, this is the pro Damien. But they are super loyal. But people that like, if you've met him, he's a very spiritual man, and yeah. his presence. I think you're right in saying not necessarily the album, but the man. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. is really interesting because. Mm. He's so unique, you know. Is mm. and uh, like I think you're right, John. Some some of the music does I wouldn't necessarily connect with me, but when you meet the man and you see a live show, there's something happening there that doesn't happen at a lot of uh, exactly. at every gig. You know, I think a lot of people feel extremely connected to him with what he's singing about, and also um, the yeah the power behind him. But like definitely as someone that you should see live. Yes, maybe if you're not into the music, listening to the album, someone that you should definitely see live because. Um, I'm trying to think of, of an example um, to compare it to, but yeah, someone that you should go and experience that kind of okay. live feel to it. Yeah. Damon Dempsey, can we get tickets? Um, <laughs> <laughs> John doesn't want that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm actually busy that night, so. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Thanks, anyway. I think one thing about that album is, though, that he was the only person around that time that had the balls to actually talk about stuff that was happening in Ireland. It wasn't, exactly. you know, he cut through yeah. all the, the Celtic Tiger bullshit and actually said, actually, no, there's a whole section of society that is in bits here. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you were driving around your Merc and you're not watching what's actually happening. And just because you went to college doesn't mean that everybody else did. Yeah. And the divide, you know, there was a big divide, maybe more so up in Dublin than down the country, which you might see now with heroin going down the country, you know, mm. where it wouldn't have been back then. But he deserves a lot of respect, I think, for that, for tackling that stuff. I'm not a fan of his voice in any way, shape or form. But like I can respect him for what he was trying to do, mm. and it might be that kind of thing where maybe Tom Waits, where if you don't like his voice, but if somebody else did the song, you'd be going, "Wow, actually, you know." And I don't mean Rod Stewart, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what yeah. I mean. What was the song from Donna Bass that you discussed the last day? Um, again, I don't know his back. Oh, Donna Mead was it? Uh, yeah, Donna Mead. Uh, That's a Leeds uh, man speaking about uh, Dublin. There, uh, <laughs> very to be confused. fair, no, no, I, I made the same. Uh, that, 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 that I only know because it's uh, it's Mick Galaxy's stomping ground. So and and it was Mick Galaxy that talked about how that to him was exactly his experience of growing up in Donna Mead. Exactly, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, looking out over the the sort of the fields and the factories in the foreground and all this and I just I kind of got a bit emotional listening to that because mm. I kind of yeah. thought what's my experience of growing up and is there a song that represents that and uh, there isn't obviously because I grew up in the back arse of nowhere like, to be <laughs> frank and honest uh, but I thought that's that's great to have that to have a song that speaks to that part of your you know growing up and uh, you know if he, if, he, if that's the only thing Damien Dempsey did that's a, a wonderful thing to have captured yeah absolutely yeah and he's done a lot more and uh, on the flip side Westlife I mean like it's a shame that we didn't get a pop record in like, we haven't really had a proper kind of traditional pop album on the revisit I don't think yet but uh, Turnaround is a bit kind of hit and miss I find especially like you know if you do kind of strip away the boy band thing and just kind of look at it from a songwriting point of view they're not really there however the five albums that we do have are laced with a lot of material a lot of great songs and uh, in order we have Bellex 1 Music and Mouth Future Kings of Spain Future Kings of Spain we have Simple Kid 1 Snow Patrol Final Straw and The Thrills So Much for the City so we'll kick it off with uh, former guest of the show Paul Noonan Bellex 1 uh, this is Music and Mouth this song is called Tongue and then we'll come back after this cause this one's for me
So that song to me, I get a bit of a Radiohead vibe off that. Stephen Byrne, is that fair? Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few songs in the album that have a bit of a Radiohead vibe in it. Absolutely. Um, Music of Mouth was their second album, and they've made eight so far. And I don't think they ever get enough recognition for the fact that they've made that many albums plus a live album. You know, after U2, they're probably you know one of the most kind of successful bands we've ever had in a longevity kind of sense. Nobody else has really managed to put out that many albums. Um, this is kind of a halfway point for them, I think. They're still trying to get away from Damien Rice a bit, and I think sonically it kind of suffers now in hindsight because they tried to get away from what he was doing so much that they the production's quite flat, and it the songs are good and the songs still sound good, but the sound of the songs hasn't kind of lasted as well as the, as the songs have you know what I mean if you go and see them live they sound much better live than they do on this record and I kind of have to put in a little um, thing there that my friend Rory plays drums from now so I kind of have to just get that out of the way full disclosure uh, well he plays for them when he's not busy um, playing drums or Jose and other people but um, anyway so um, I kind of think this, this album's kind of 50 there's some great songs in it there's some parts where you can you can see where Paul Newman is going to end up in a few years like it has that kind of lofty um, you know observational lyric and it has the downright nerdy sci-fi lyric and but they're not as well defined as they are maybe on the later albums um, it starts out great with um, Snakes and Snakes which um, has a has a lovely kind of lyrical turn in it which is that um, maybe there maybe there are no ladders in this game at all which is kind of talking about a relationship he's going through at the time and how no matter what he does it's wrong and there's that kind of theme runs through the entire album there's um, another song that makes reference to Maud Gone the um, highest muse of all muses in the history of Ireland I mm-hmm. suppose we could say and uh, he kind of says that uh, you're not Maud Gone but Maud Gone wasn't mod gone either which kind of alludes to the fact that men and I suppose women as well put the people that they're in love with on such a pedestal that they can only fall and when they fall it's actually kind of your fault as as much as it is their fault if not more your fault (coughs) so there's all these kind of interesting kind of lofty lyrical kind of tropes going on it. yeah it's definitely the sound of a band figuring itself out Bellex One are, are a band that I kind of dismissed for no real like valid reason I just for whatever reason just grouped them into this bracket of like generic Irish indie and I didn't really kind of go there and I've had some friends kind of even quite recently being like no 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 you definitely got this wrong you definitely misjudged them. there's a lot more going on than you kind of would give them credit for and it's strange because I mean I think for whatever reason I think it was easy to make that dismissal like I, it's me I being agree. ignorant I for sure I but in the same boat as well yeah yeah but like you kind of delve in and you're like actually no they do have a lot of very considered <laughs> songwriting and I mean again like I mean like to talk to Paul when we had him in for the 2002 episode obviously we talked about Damien Rice's debut album which you know is you know the source of like he had some very kind of interesting insights into that that year he played drums on or at least in the run up to for Gemma Hayes's record so to kind of come along with this album which does there's a lot here and like even like the the, the tracks are quite long like you know, a lot of them are like north of five minutes or there thereabouts and yeah. I mean it, it doesn't feel like I wouldn't fault the ambition but it might feel like a band trying to do too much do we think? Yeah I think I, I agree with with Stephen in, in the sense that they were really trying to move away from that whole Damien Rice era. But I have to say, in two thousand and three, um, a good friend of mine, Baz, started working in uh, a place actually just around the corner in Pear Street, a post production place called Highwire, 
and uh, he, he was working with this girl called Claire Fingless who was going out with this guy Dave who was in a band uh, like a really good band he said he, he was the guitarist in the band so he gave me a CD and he said have a listen to this and I looked at it and I thought Bell Eleven that is a brilliant name for a band like absolutely mm. brilliant. So I called them Bell Eleven for ages but it was, it was this album you here you and Marty Whedon <laughs> the two of us you know, we're on the phone every night. Yeah. did you hear Bell Eleven um, <clears throat> but I, I absolutely loved this album when it came out because I thought it was very different to <clears throat> maybe what other Irish bands were not other bands around the world but what, what other Irish bands were doing uh, at that particular time uh, and I I listened to it probably non-stop for about two or three weeks um, got to see them in the village in early 2004 I think or maybe it was late 2003 it was around a few months after this came out anyway and the place was packed Paul Noonan had long hair he, like, he looked like the you know the, the typical rock star mm. and everybody there knew all the words and I thought in my foolishness my youthfulness these guys are going to be huge they're going to be absolutely incredible. And when I look, when I listen back to it now, I do see a lot of faults, obviously, with it that yeah. my younger self probably wouldn't have noticed at the time. But I still think there's so many amazing tracks on it. I, I, and, and, you know, his lyrics are, are brilliant. And I think he, his lyrics are probably best on this album. I think they, he probably went a bit too clever in, in future albums with what he was trying to say and his turn of phrase and everything. But Snakes and Snakes, uh, Alphabet Soup, uh, and then Tongue, which Dave, you said, is, is slightly like uh, Radiohead. White Water Song is a is a real kind of belter of a two-minute rock song. So, you know, I, this is this is probably my favorite yeah. Bellix one album. Tongue is the um, last song that they had with Royce. Yeah, he's credited on it, yeah. and it's kind of interesting. To, like, I, I guess, kind of, it's 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 mm. like if you're going to fully divorce yourself, I, I like the fact that they, whether or not they felt ultimate ownership themselves, or whether it was a fuck you to him, I don't quite know. Yeah. But like, it's it's a very interesting song, and it, it's a bit of an outlier though as well. Because I mean, even like the, like that kind of Radiohead thing, like, doesn't quite correlate with the rest of the album, but. It's. I think it's all the more interesting for it, and I like this album a lot. I, I think it's a hard album to love in as much as because it's just so kind of zigzagging. Like it really mm. kind of like it's hard to kind of settle into it. I mean, I, I find that like with some records, they take you over, and other ones you're almost kind of fighting for space. And this was one of them. I think it's reflective of a lot of Irish bands that zigzag, that kind of jumping for genre hopping within a quite specific genre too. And we'll see it in, come back to future albums that we're going to talk about in this podcast. But I think if you listen to like a lot of American bands, they've really they figured out what they want to do. And I think Irish and this is I know this is a sweeping generalization, but I find with a lot of Irish bands, especially when they start off, they are happy to kind of like mm. it's like a, it's the buffet plate. It's I'll have a little bit of this and I'll have a little bit of that. And, you know, then A&R people are going, well, I need actually 10 eaves is the mm. apple of my or, or something that's in that ballpark that sort of emotive yeah. rock and that's probably something that in some respects I think Bellex One have refused to be classified and be pigeonholed and that's kind of defined their career it's like yeah we've done that now we're going to do something different and we refuse to be like a radio band we refuse to be a stadium band and like you, with this album Eve is the apple of my eye you know it got that American teen yeah sitcom uh, well drama <coughs> placing in the OC um, and I actually remember watching that scene and again a bit like you John it was that moment where you're like wow there's an Irish band on this show like this global TV show um, that has done so much and you know when you're that age you think that is the be mm. all and end all and their hands are stamped the reality is and again another theme that we'll co- uh, theme that we'll have is maybe a little bit of unfulfilled potential and I don't mean that about necessarily about Bellex One because they've had a great career yeah. and in many respects I think Paul Noonan and the rest of the guys would say we've had a great career like, and we've loved everything we've done we've been mm-hmm. true to ourselves but in some respects at that moment in Bellex One's career there's potential to be like sellout stadiums mm-hmm. 
they haven't gone on to do to do that um, for many different reasons and potentially because they didn't want to sell out stadiums and they wanted to plow their own furrow. But at that moment in 2004, there is that potential. And one final thing again, like you, you, it does, you know, listening back to these albums, sorry, 2003, I should say, <laughs> but 2004, it, it was, you know, released in the US. You do go back to moments and you think about like how you listen to those albums. For me, this album, and like a lot of the albums is, I had a mini disc player and I listened to these songs on mini disc, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked to my job, which was teaching in Dallas Al Rahini and I was 21 years of age and like, I just like, I listen back to this album and I'm walking down the road going to school uh, as a teacher, as a sub a terrible sub teacher <laughs> uh, that was friends with the with the pupils, which never don't, works. Don't call me sir. I, I'm, you know, a cool me I'm a cool yeah. teacher. Uh, um, and then when I got my first job in Today FM as a researcher on the Matt Cooper show, I, uh, they wanted to have like a theme tune and like Today FM has and still have a history of using like um, indie songs as the, as the theme for the, yeah. the last word. And it was, I pushed really hard to get Tongue as the theme because I kind of thought, this is what I can bring to the show. Cool music. And, uh, <laughs> and maybe get I'm a Irish cool band. researcher. <laughs> cool teacher, cool researcher. Carrie, you're seeing a theme here. And uh, I didn't get it because Cake Sale, actually, uh, which we'll come to Gary Life. Oh, yeah, of course. On, yeah, yeah. Became, I can't remember the name of the song, but it became the, the theme tune to The Last Word for about four or five That's years. That's a great album. Yes, it is a great album. But you can't listen to it because it hurts too much. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I'm like, all oh, that money that Gary Lightbody probably didn't need. Paul Newland could have had those royalties. Anyway, it didn't happen. But uh, I did my best, Paul, and I'm sorry. Mm. But no, there's definitely an argument. Like, like the Bellex one thing where it's like, why aren't they bigger than they are? And I mean, is that just because of like... Because even like the last record comes out and like... Um, there's a couple of tracks in there like um, which they released a single and I was thinking I was like this is really interesting this is really different it's diverse it's funky it's playing by its own kind of rules and yet they you know like they they seem to occupy a space in Irish music where they're comfortable I suppose and yet for whatever reason just never sell out stadiums although the first time I ever came across Bellex one in my entire life was at the first ever gig that I went to which was of all things a Bon Jovi concert oh, oh my god yeah. yeah and they were supported by Andreas Johnson who had that song Glorious, Glorious. yeah I know <laughs> what a track and Bellex like a young Bellex one and that, that would have been like oh, I don't know, 96, 97 or something Where was that? was that in the points? RDS Outdoor RDS? I think yeah okay. and it was very strange I mean like you know I'd never been to a concert before so they were technically the first band I ever saw and I didn't think much of it <laughs> but I, you know, because I, I was there for the Jovi, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the fact they have so many skeletons in your wardrobe when it comes and, to music. And I just share it. Every <laughs> I know. Episode. I yeah, love like, that. I have no problem. Like, like, I feel like you should be open about these kind exactly. of things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No shame. There's no guilty pleasures anymore. Uh, we shall move on to our second album, <laughs> which uh, holds a lot of personal connections for a few of us. I think actually, uh, one I remember very, very fondly. This is Future Kings of Spain. That's a place for everything. The first track off Huge Kings of Spain, self-titled record. Now, there was a local CD store in my town, and I would go there like on a Friday after school. And I think I was working in the supermarket at the time, and I would spend all of my money on whatever CDs the man who worked there told me to buy. 
and they had like an alternate section so you know like they had your Slipknot albums your Corn albums that's all I really needed when I was that age <laughs> and uh, yeah no YouTube and no kind of like you know like this not, like not a lot of radio kind of going on and the type of stuff I wanted to hear so he would actually let you listen to the first couple of tracks on the CD like he'd like, like let you go into a corner give you the CD give you a pair of headphones and one day I saw Future Kings of Spain album cover which really stood out to me it's got a unique kind of looking album cover mm. and it was in the alternate section or whatever the rock section so I was like okay what is this and he was like oh they're a new Irish band it's pretty good throw it on headphones on in the corner that song there a place where everything comes on and in about 10 seconds I'm like yeah I'm buying this I'm spending 20 quid on this or whatever it was at the day and I was like ran home I was like oh this whole album's gonna be like this and it isn't <laughs> like there's like one other track about nine tracks in that mm. is like this mm. and that being a uh, face I know, face I know yeah. but for the most part like I was so shocked that when like your starlight and Venetian blinds and hanging around followed uh, that track because I was like how do you go from this raucous two and a half minute whatever it is kind of just like hardcore race to the finish and then oh you're doing ash better than ash but at the same time while i you know angsty dave was a bit heartbroken by this the more i go back to this record the more i kind of go oh shit this is really versatile this is really impressive this is really really well put together like there's so much going on and yet it didn't quite work for them patty no and i think it's interesting that you start with um, A Place for Everything because that's actually the the main gripe a lot of people have with this record. And to get out a, a skeleton from Dave's wardrobe. Again. Uh, it, it, Slipknot being one of your... Proud skeleton. I love Slipknot. <laughs> to this day. A, a Place for Everything has the, the Slipknot vocal, really. Mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, The scream, yeah. The scream. And a lot of people bought their... I, not, you're not the only one. I've heard that before time and again that this record was pitched initially as this kind of really hard hard rock uh, record, or if you listen to track one, which is only about two minutes long, so it doesn't last very long. And then it transitions into something very different. So that by the time you get to track three, Venetian Blinds, you have this really, uh, I'm going to say sweet, but, but it is sweet, isn't it, really? like it, it's You define it quite well there. It's ash better than ash. It's very ashy. It's very radio-friendly. Venetian Blinds genuinely will be one of my all-time favourite songs. Mm. I absolutely love it. It's just, I just think it's a perfect pop song. Um, and back to, the, and it brings us on to that thing, which is, how didn't it work out for Future Kings of Spain? And, um, I don't know. I felt like there was, like, when I bought that record at the time, like you, I bought it. And um, what's what I remember about buying the record is, one, it's an iconic cover. It's, uh, if you have never seen it, and I'm sure many people haven't, it's a rhinoceros done like a jigsaw, but in many different colours. Um, it's a very plain cover. The rhinoceros jumps out at you. It's self-titled. It's eponymous. Um, and it was in one of those, it wasn't a plastic CD. It wasn't in a plastic CD for me anyway. It yeah, was a yeah, cardboard. Yeah, kind of yeah, like that Damien Rice thing. Yeah. And that's ubiquitous now. But at the time, it wasn't. It was like I'd never actually bought a record before, a CD, that didn't come in a you know plastic sleeve I thought it was really cool when the cardboard ones were coming out I think the first cardboard album I bought was by Tool and they did a really cool like hologram thing on the front yeah 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 yeah, yes that's a little skeleton I just revealed but anyway sorry (laughs) Tool's not a skeleton (laughs) I I love skeletons I've been giving out to about Tool (laughs) by who like they're incredible idiots yeah exactly (laughs) Um, 
I wonder if anybody here is going to have an issue with this record because it is one of my favourites. Of the five that are here, it's the one that I would have revisited. Like, I had to go back for maybe Final Straw and I had to go back for uh, Bell X1, but I didn't have to go back for this one. It was at my fingertips. I've listened to it at least once a year, every year since 2003. I think it is a brilliant Irish rock record. I would still categorise it as rock. I love all the songs on it. I don't skip any songs on it. Like, if you go right through to Traps and Upside Down, Upside Down is one of my favourite tracks on the record, and it's track 11. And again, the weird thing for me is this is such a perfect sink or place on an American teen drama like the way Bell X1 got their sink, and we'll see if, you know, Snow Patrol got theirs and had really successful careers. Um, Future Kings of Spain it never came for them Mm -hmm. and you know when I speculate on it and I don't know the answer I remember seeing them live in UCD in the college bar in 2004 and they were amazing and then I went to see them at Oxygen that same year I interviewed Joey and he had no voice and he said it was from screaming um, the songs and the first um, song, a place where everything that was it. Yeah, and and and, and face I know, uh. and he said that those songs used to wreck his voice because he would give absolutely everything to them, and I remember thinking, oh, I mean, maybe you need to be, you know, maybe that's a bad thing, like you know, going forward, like if if you can't sing live or you know you're having trouble singing those songs, I don't know. This is idle speculation. I, I'm not even sure if that was why. It's going to be on the tabloids tomorrow. Yeah, this is Daily it. Mail. This is it. Paddy McKenna slams <laughs> Future Kings of Spain. Hold the front page. Um, so that's the, that's the, my take on this it. This is the one one album that I wasn't familiar with at all out of, the, out of the five that we've chosen for the shortlist. And I always considered them as, as being, uh, yeah, kind of like a bit of a soft rock band, a, a, a bit of a, like they played poppy guitar music really commercial and I had an opportunity to see them a couple of times over the years and I was like I'm not going to go see these guys so I didn't I didn't really know this album at all and I, yeah I was completely wrong obviously so when, when I had a, a, a like similar Dave to you but when I had a like a listen to this album and then I put on as you did for the first time A Place for Everything the first song I went oh my god these guys are amazing we're, we're like how come I haven't listened to these <laughs> yeah. before and then but gradually as I listened to the rest of the album I was like okay now that's why I didn't go and see them that those couple of times Phoenician Blinds though I remember um, as being a, a great song but there's, there's a, I guess there's a there's a nice mix of, of soft and heavy and maybe going back to what you were saying, Paddy, about they didn't really know exactly where they were. But can I ask you, for, for, seeing as, as you guys probably know these more than me, why did they start? Did you, do you know why they started with such a heavy two-minute song on the, on the I, album? I don't. Because it, I mean, really I'm sure they've been movie. asked it many times or why they didn't have more like it. But Yeah. I, I, I'd like to ask a different question. Why wouldn't you? It's fantastic. It, it, <laughs> you, you press play, it does a little, and it just roars out of the stereo at you and just yeah. says, fuck you, I'm going to bat you. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it does. But, ne- it, but then afterwards, I'm going to hold you afterwards and, yeah, and kiss you. That's what you got to do. I'll <laughs> tell you about mm. the meanest okay, sound sorry. ever heard yeah. out loud. Yeah, <laughs> what is exactly. that? I'm so sorry Is that a fart? Anyway. Sorry for shouting. Joey losing his voice on stage. It's really <laughs> Possibly, yeah. 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 I, I, I absolutely love this album. Um, I think... I've, I've been crowned a bit of an officiant. Well, you've Nando. written a piece that made it yeah. into their Wikipedia, so I have to ask, did you go in there and put it into their Wikipedia? No, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> God, no. Um, you can do that. You know? <laughs> um, actually, after I after I wrote that um, Golden Vault piece, they actually um, set up uh, social media accounts for themselves. Jesus. Yeah. Did you get really excited thinking this could be the start of a comeback that um, I, I have I, precipitated? I, I, did get, I did get sent a thank you. So they're still out there? 
yeah, look, that there. Looking, look, looking at what What's going on then? What happened? Give us the inside <laughs> scoop because I actually I'm just a fan. I don't know the band. I did interview them once, but I'm really intrigued because for me it's like they're in the same category as Stephen Fretwell and these other zero naughties bands yeah. or artists that it didn't work and why? Well, I don't know, man. I'll, I think what I put in that piece was that um, all the ingredients were there, but the Future Kings of Spain cake didn't raise for some reason. You know, um, they were off opening for Muse and Beefy Clyro and they were doing massive festivals. I think they were, you know, big in Japan, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And then they just, I think the record label went bang and they were in record label limbo for two years or three years. And then they made an album called Nervous System, which was a bit... I didn't pants. like that one. And, um, I, but I think they'd kind of hung around for too long, not doing anything, you know. and Hanging around? Seriously, your town—it's gone. It was gone. You know, the the moment was was gone. But for me, <laughs> I actually I don't really agree with you guys that the you know the sound is. I think it's actually the the most of all the albums that are there. It's, it's one of the ones that has the most purpose and the most vision and cohesion. Cohesion, yeah. Seriously. Well, I mean, I was talking to Dan Ugly earlier on, and he was kind of speculating that like for a lot of people, like there was it was it was too kind of all over the place, and in, in as much as like style wise, like genre wise, kind of like like jumping around. Was almost perhaps too unpalatable for just like your kind of I, everyday I, ear. I don't know. Man. I don't know, man. I I actually don't agree with the um, the Ash comparison. I think it's actually really? an, uh, it's Nada Surf that mm. they they mm. sound like yeah, they, they sound like a good Nada Surf more so than a, a good Ash. Um, and it's it's the fact that you know they're doing the pavement, the Pixies, and the Nada Surf stuff. And if you if you're into those three bands, I don't think this is. Um, palatable at all I think it, it's it's nice because it's a, you know you're sitting in that comfort zone anyway mm-hmm. but I think the reason it sounds so good is cause that they got the guy that produced all the Fugazi, Fugazi albums yeah. where maybe a lot of the other people on this list had um, inexperienced producers or you know smaller producers that weren't kind of used to Jack pushing Nike. bands and that kind <laughs> of way you know well that's a different story um, which we'll get to yeah so I agree with you though just on that Stephen just to take up that point Again, another theme that I think with the album, a lot of the albums is the guitar sounds. If the guitar yeah. sound ages, your album is yeah. fucked, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's why I have a difficulty listening to What's the Story, Morning Glory, because the guitar sounds well, so... That, that's what yeah, kills, kills the Bellex One album for me, because the tongue, that riff, just it's so weedy, and it should be huge. Yeah. You know, and, and so many bits, and if and even, say, the Eve the Apple of My Eye, the single, or the single version of that is so much better than the album version because somebody has sprinkled a bit of stardust on it to make it pretty for the radio and the guitar has much more body and that song is the one that they play on but the radio. But it's organic you know? guitar sounds versus digital. It's like yeah. I've got a Line 6 pod that I can get these sounds out of and I think bands have gotten wise to this and they're going back to like just organic sounds, turn your, your amp up to 11 and make a big fat yeah. chunky Tony sound that is going to sound good in 20, 30, 40 years but it's all those digital experiments where your producer goes don't worry about don't worry about a guitar ramp I've you got like a I've got uh, this digital plug-in that's uh, going to do all those no, things no you can't fix it in the mix no uh, Tara I'm curious we've seen Paddy's childlike enthusiasm for this record what uh, does it work for you or are you going to pour cold water all over him yeah it wouldn't be wouldn't be a big fan I'm so sorry <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, it's ruined. I thought we were friends. Will I leave? Um, yeah, no, I'm um, just not to my taste. That's not. It's not to my personal taste. That's all. Kill him. 
<laughs> if they if, if they came to you tomorrow though, like I mean, like with these tracks and like again from like purely like asking as your acumen as a radio DJ or as a journalist, like I mean, like and they were like, you know, well, we want airplay and we want to kind of like you know break in. Like like, would you advise them against opening, for example, with a track that heavy? Like I mean, like like do you think that it is a bit too kind of hodgepodge? I think so. Um, like it would work on well, if we're if we're saying two FM, for example, mm-hmm. um, yes, because two FM wouldn't they can't play stuff that would be that heavy True. um mm. but if you're thinking maybe like 2xm completely different story 2xm the digital sister station can play that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but 2fm um very light marshmallow stuff what i kind of hate about radio these days and maybe it's always been this way but um even if you release a shite song if you're Mega star, it'll yeah. get played no matter if it's good or bad. For yeah. example, the most recent Harry Styles, well, Harry Styles' <laughs> debut solo single. Yeah, I personally think it's shite. It's the new yeah. David Bowie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Don't make me jump across the yeah, table exactly. and hit you. Um, <laughs> I'm just quoting a Guardian headline, but yeah, I, I think that this, song this is, is what, terrible. This but. is what happened with with Hosier and uh, Take Me to Church, which had been kind of bandied around to radio stations for a few weeks, and nobody was really kind of biting. Um, and then all of a sudden. The video came out for it, mm-hmm. and you know, oh. the likes of yeah. the aforementioned radio stations were saying, "Oh my God, I love this!" Yeah, track. Stephen and Fry they, retweeted it, and they, then they had yeah. all been yeah, sent yeah, yeah, yeah. after the like yeah. two months before that. Yeah, but that's all what, I'd listened that's to. That's the gone, yeah, what this guy? Let's move into our next record. Oh, we're definitely having around. See, told you. <laughs> oh, is this the record? This is the record. Oh my God, I'm not surprised. This Steve, is put that bottle of whiskey down, please. <laughs> this is Simple Kid. Let's have a listen. Right, Simple Kid, that's hello. And uh, I'm going to pass the mic, the hot mic, to John Barker right now. Kick us off, John. This uh, this this holds personal connotations for you. Oh, yeah, it, it did in 2003, and it, it probably still does now. It's the one album on the on the shortlist when I listen back to it. I go, yes, it still it still works today. Probably because of the, the DIY sound that, uh, that Simple Kid went for. So Simple Kid is uh, Kieran McFeely, who used mm. to be, he's from Cork, he used to be in a band called The Young Offenders, who were kind of located in London and had a kind of like a glam Mark Boland feel to them. Um, I think he, he moved to, I think he moved to Australia or America after that and then came back to Ireland and basically sat in his bedroom with a guitar for, for ages, just creating his own music as a, as a solo artist. So uh, he made up uh, a raft of songs, which he would um, play himself, play, play every instrument uh, on every track by himself. He had an A track in his bedroom, pure 2003 stuff going on here, like sitting at home with the A track, mm. um, and just um, produ- produced this album. And for me, it's an absolutely br- brilliant, brilliant album. I, I, I loved it then. I still love it now. Um, when so music and out was an album that I, I loved at the time, but when I listen back to it now, as I said earlier on, I can I can see the faults that it, that it had. But this this is absolutely brilliant. Apart from being at times a little bit overproduced, and this, he probably threw the kitchen sink in into a lot of songs. Uh, it, it's it's excellent. I I had just come back from Australia. I'd been travelling around for a year, and uh, I I was renting a house with two friends, Ed and Raf Farnham. And you you know when you're you're away travelling, you you get this, uh, I suppose, 
enhanced sense of what it feel what it means to be Irish and you're probably a bit more proud of your like I'm sure that you're, you're even more proud Tara, of, of being Australian now that you're, you're living here so you get this um, real real sense of what it means to be Irish I wonder if that's just but Irish people that get that. <laughs> <laughs> Tara's face they're like, like no, no not really no, <laughs> no. so I, I, but I, I came home after travelling and yeah, I probably felt a bit prouder to be Irish, but there was no real band that I was like, yeah, this is this is a band that I, I would, you know, if anybody came from from abroad to Ireland, that I'd go, you have to listen to these guys. So Simple Kid was probably that that album for me. Um, it's 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 uh, Stephen Burns' face, unbelievable. But it's it's when when you when you you listen to it, when you listen to the songs, like it's it's all the, like the main theme is these are songs for a dissatisfied generation that are in their twenties. It's basically all about. Okay, we've just finished college. We've we're after getting a shit job. It's Monday to Friday. We're not getting paid too much money. This is not the this is not what was in the brochure. Like it wasn't supposed to be like this. We're completely dissatisfied. So, what are we going to do? Basically, we're going to according to according to Simple Kid, we're gonna we're gonna work Monday to Friday. We're gonna take a load of drugs on Friday evening. We're gonna have a great time. So we'll we'll work for the man Monday to Friday, and then um, we'll go and have our own fun at the weekends. And that's basically what a, a large majority of not none of us here but a large majority of people were doing <laughs> uh, and still do in in their 20s but this is this is reflected uh in in lo- lots of the songs uh so for example the commuter the lyrics are based on basically he he, he goes through this this running order of he wakes up in the morning he, he you know gets up he washes his face he goes downstairs and he goes to work he works hard he's he tries to make money for for the firm and the whole time he's just praying for the weekend he's thinking of the weekend and he takes a lot of chemicals and then he flies high and then he has his awful come down on a Sunday and for a lot of dissatisfied people in the 20s that's what that's what they were doing and that's what that, that's what they still do so it's it's certainly if you're at that particular time in your life and you listen to this uh, to this particular album it, it definitely definitely resonates with you, with you. and it, it's the sound of it was was very very different it certainly was not polished obviously as I just said he he's uh, recorded on his own in his bedroom on an 8 track but it works it doesn't it doesn't sound too lo-fi um, he <laughs> it doesn't sound too too lo-fi at all there's a it, 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 there's, there's a there's a nice I suppose element of different uh, instruments on there there's a nice glam feel to it 1960s and it was uh, re- very, very well received at the time. The Guardian, which can be quite prickly, um, gave it four out of five, I remember. Uh, and for myself and my friends sitting in our house in Rafardo, this was the soundtrack to many's the night of, and uh, many's the morning of uh, of mm-hmm. drinking cans and just enjoying that that sense of being free and independent and, you know, knowing that society is kind of about to, like, screw you a little bit and they're all, it's already happening it doesn't matter you've still got like a, a few years left to enjoy your independence uh, and this 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 particular uh, album was it was a soundtrack to that can I just be, can I just say as well that so I, I was a huge <clears throat> huge huge fan of this album mm-hmm. so I listened to it as I've already explained there non-stop and I went to see him in the Temple Bar Music Centre as it was known back then in February 2004 and it was awful it was just him I think his brother was on stage but it was for a couple of the songs but it was mostly just him with his laptop and the acoustic guitar and in between every single song he had to whatever he was doing on the laptop programming stuff in <laughs> took about five minutes and it was just like oh, no, and, well, no. j- just like dead air you've ruined me you've ruined me now <laughs> like, so. but anyway uh, it's still uh, yeah it's still a really really good album okay Stephen Byrne you're not a fan no okay why um, 
it's just absolute nonsense. <laughs> okay, but um, like, that, was so, that was so heartfelt. That was like so, um, there was oh, so much like to me. It's just it's just like a pile of songs that um, the Super Forty Animals uh, would be embarrassed to release because they're just absolute nonsense. Um, I liked, in fairness, I liked Truck On, um, but the rest was just like, oh man, seriously, like, is it a parody? I was like, I listened to it going, is this supposed to be funny? And it just hasn't aged, like something like, you know, funny a Budweiser way, ad or the, something, you know what I mean, from the, 10 years ago, like, what's up or something, but it just doesn't travel <laughs> anymore, you know what I mean? Is that a scary but movie reference? It's, it's, <laughs> it's just terrible. I mean, I was listening to it, I was going, it, there's one of the songs kind of sounds like Gomez. Whipping yeah. Piccadilly, yeah. and I was just going. Yeah, there's a bit of shit that, right? a dilly. Yeah. You know, it's just terrible. <laughs> it's just really terrible. <laughs> really terrible. And I know I'm. So, I know like oh, that you're no. supposed to, you know, you know, be professional, have a thing, and that's like. But it's mm. just, it's, I can't. I just can't. I've never heard anybody slate this album. It's I, incredible. I, never. I, honestly, I would rather listen to Westlife a full volume <laughs> than really? this. Oh, it's atrocious, man. I can't find a big enough word in the English dictionary to I'll describe how terrible this is. I mean that. Like. I know, and I, and, and I love you, John, but like, <laughs> you're, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> you know. right should have given me a heads up over and this. I didn't realise. <laughs> I like. <laughs> we spoke I about when this. When he said the this week, parody yeah. earlier on, I, I thought he was referring to the Snow Patrol. We album. spoke about this very, very briefly. In as much as you were like simple kid, and I was like, yeah, man, that's John's favourite record of the list. Yeah. That, that, that's as far as it got, though. I was like, same yeah. for the podcast. But like, even in terms of like, you're into that style of music, though, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Is it just that it sounds a bit too much like those no, other bands? It's that just like, the, uh, it's like not, I don't know. The singing is really bad. The lyrics are well; they don't say anything to me. They don't speak to me. Maybe if I was from the part of the world that he was from, I would get the references or whatever. But I don't. Maybe I didn't do enough drugs when I was in my twenties or whatever. But it just doesn't doesn't speak to me. It says nothing to me at all. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like. I, I think a lot of the lyrics are, are quite universal. I don't. Uh, it, it mightn't even necessarily fit. like. I think you can relate to them at, at any particular age. I, I don't think obviously you need to have done a lot of drugs. That's not what I was uh, referring to either. But um, it, it there's there's a, like it's 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 quite melodic. The songs are really really catchy. Um, for I'm just trying to look at areas maybe where you can maybe go back and uh, <laughs> just like the, you know revisit the the, the drum, even like the drum the drum beats like I know the. Well, it's a, it's a come it's on, yeah, yeah, I know, but it's really, like, it's really shy. I feel it's like really I should shoddy. hate this record, but I don't, and uh, because, like, to me, like, I've railed against like the popical island style of music before, like, like that well, Dublin actually, label was, it, it, on it, this show, and it's like those like kind of those kind of bands where it's like it, like the aesthetic is like well, you know we're at a party it's not supposed to be mixed or mastered you square and like I hate that I hate that attitude but this I actually I quite liked it I mean like like I, I liked it from the get go I thought it was kind of odd and strange and I, I kind of imagined it like you know now granted like the vocoder at the start of it kind of gave me an easy in in as much as I kind of imagined it as if like an alien had come down and it was like trying to learn what music was and then ran into this guy and this guy was like well I'll tell you what it is and it's this <laughs> fucking weird shit that I'm doing but I quite liked it I mean like, like I found some of it I found irritating like you know the average man i found his kind of vocal refrain that a little bit too nails on a chalkboard for me just the way he delivers it but i'm, I'm sure that's kind of part of the point but like by the time you get to the end of the record like no news is a fabulous track like yeah. it's very different it's very strange like it's very like it's unusually accomplished in relation to the rest of the record which is kind of you know knowingly ram well knowingly ramshackle is how i would put it i'm not normally the voice of reason this is this is new for me um but <laughs> no no you're doing um, well you're doing well I, 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 I know you're disappointed me but I gotta say I liked it Tara I liked it as well yeah 
Um, I'm not. John um, punching the air in the corner. <laughs> I'm only familiar with it recently. I have to admit, I wouldn't have known about it back in 2003. Maybe they, did, they just didn't travel yeah. <laughs> far enough. For real. <laughs> <laughs> Paddy McKenna. Uh, I'm also in Joan Barker's camp I really like this album <laughs> okay. uh, I'm actually really surprised uh, Stephen I enjoyed your rant there I must say yeah, I thought, I it's, it's good to have um, nice and spicy I, I, you know like the worst thing is that we'd all agree on music which would be um, yeah, yeah. vanilla but I do uh, I am surprised genuinely because you did mention a couple of references I thought Stephen Malcolmus actually and Pavement that's something that I hear when I listen to um, this record and I, I'm new to it too, Tara. I didn't listen to it. Uh, SK2 is an album I, re, I know very well. And I, Old Domestic Cat's one of my favourite songs. Again, um, it would be right up there in my, well, I would say top 50. Um, but on this album, it was brand new. And again, I listened to it over the past few days walking around Dublin. And I felt like, I love albums that kind of soundtrack your day. Yeah. And when you're going somewhere, you feel like, okay, I'm like... I'm in my own TV show and I'm going somewhere and I'm yeah, listening yeah, to this yeah, song. Yeah. And like I felt actually these, I know that's... One weird. of my favourite things to do is pretend I'm in a music video. Yeah. Walking down, <laughs> well, I don't know, walking down Drury Street. Woo! Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm actually feeling like I'm in a music, I'm walking down past Rialto Cottages, but hey, I'm actually like in a music video. Yeah. I, think I get that. Um, and this thing's, this album's soundtrack that, um, weirdly, from a guitar sound, I don't think it's dated. I, I can hear he's playing it through like a, a Fender DeVille or something and it sounds like it's a guitar being played through a really nice amp. He knows what he's doing. You guys profiled um, David Kiss. Uh, was it Big Romance or, sm- or Small Moments? that you? I think it was Small Moments. And this is DIY. And Kitzer's album is very likeable and very... You want it, you're rooting for it. And I was rooting for this oh. album in the same way. And uh, yeah... I'm a fan. Mm. I was actually surprised that Square One didn't make the list, which is also fairly DIY, David Kitt's album. Which yeah. Is That's Zero Three as well. Mm. Okay. Well, you would have been happier with yeah, that, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, Simple Kid made the list because of democracy. And because, okay. of, because of democracy, I'm going to order at the end of this podcast that John and Stephen hug it out or something. <laughs> like I feel like. always have a hug for John. Yeah, enough John. But, uh, but we'll move on to uh, a, a bigger record, uh, you might say. One that definitely wasn't recorded in a bedroom. This is Snow Patrol, and this is Final Straw. So this was um, Snow Patrol's third album. Yes. And uh, this was, I guess, when they were like, well, they've actually said themselves where they were going from that indie band sound to a more rock pop commercial sound because they basically just were like, we want to get played on the radio. We want to become successful. Um, and this for me, and also produced by Jackknife, Jackknife Lee, who funnily enough, um, I only realised the other day, actually produced all of like Michelle Branch's album albums, which is really random. And she's actually released a new one this year, but um, used to be a big fan of Michelle. Not so much anymore. <laughs> um, but I guess that's where I'm going to go with this as well, in my personal opinion. When this came out in 2003, I was 13 and I was working part-time in a music shop in Alice Springs and uh, on the weekends every Saturday I used to work there and I remember it getting played all the time and 
but I loved it at the time. I was like, yeah, tune. And we, that we'd get the singles in, get the albums in, sell out constantly. It didn't actually chart in Australia, surprisingly. Um, it was Eyes Open that actually charted. It debuted, I think, at number one. But obviously that was, you know, from uh, Final Straw, that's what kind of brought them up. Yeah. And then the next album, that's why they debuted at number one. Uh, so it was massive. Snow Patrol were huge in Australia. And that was one of, like, the first modern bands at the time that... I would have discovered, say, before my parents, because my dad's actually originally, well, he's from Ireland. Um, so I've been exposed to Irish music before. This wasn't like a first time. Um, but I grew up in a house of like Mary Black and Damien Rice and stuff and David Gray. Um, but yeah, this was the first time that it was a, a modern band doing it. Listening back at the time, like I said, loved it. But now, no, I don't <laughs> like it anymore. I listen to it being like, oh, yeah, there's that nostalgia there, but not that fun nostalgia where I'd listen to like Lil Kim yeah. or Missy Elliott where still in like big fan of theirs that music is still in my opinion absolutely brilliant and has I mean R&B is coming back well not coming back but it is you know what's happening again at the moment so it's extremely relevant I think that kind of music has traveled really well but I don't think Snow Patrol for me is relevant anymore however in saying that um you compare the lyrics in these songs, like they're very, very basic. Um, not to, I know. You're I, being nice there. Huh? You're being nice. But oh, okay, good. I thought you were about to be like, no. oh my God, Tart. No, oh. you did not just say that. Oh my God. Uh, extremely basic. Not Don't really get your emotions going. You wouldn't really. But when I was 13, I probably was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. You know? <laughs> um, and I'd, comp- <laughs> I'd compare that probably to the modern day of, and I, I don't want to get in trouble by saying this, uh, but Ed Sheeran. Lyrics for me don't bring anything out for me in his lyrics, but for a lot of young people, it does. Yeah. So I can understand why, you know, th- when I was 13, I thought those lyrics were really meaningful and beautiful. Um, but now, meh, not really. Um, it hasn't traveled for me. I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be mad. I love his voice. Um, but do you, do you yeah. love his voice? Like, I like, actually do. Okay. Yeah. I, like it's, um, you know, it's him. I love the accent and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, now listening to the album, I was, I was re-listening to it over the last week and I, it actually hurts <laughs> to be honest, but it's unfortunate because I used to love it, but, uh, yeah, not so much anymore. At, at least he tried to sing in a slightly Irish accent. We we're going to talk about the trails in a few moments time which is a completely different ball game but Tara I, I was uh, probably like a few years older than that so probably in my, my early 20s and I got caught up in the in, in this album and everybody listened to it and you know I, I don't mind admitting that yeah I really liked it and yeah. I listened to it non-stop and like my background was Metallica and Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and this was a completely a completely different ball game a completely different world of music and um, I must have just I, I think now I must have just been going through some weird phase but um, you know, have we, have we got what was her name? <laughs> but it was probably rele- it was probably That's more relevant good. to you. You're like a shrink, yeah, journalist baby. It was yeah. probably more relevant to you at the time. Whoops, um, maybe lyrics wise, more emotive for you yeah. know. Like I'm gonna make a an embarrassing reference that when I was like 21, Adele released that 21 album, um, and I found it really, I, I really, it really spoke to me in very in lots of emotions because I just got dumped. So I was, you know, I remember jogging through Phoenix Park and I was like, oh, she's singing about me. But randomly listening to it, I would have been like, this is a load of shite. But it, yeah, I was going through something that related to me. So embarrassingly, related uh, to I, I, I'll tell you, John, I, I, I can't listen to Delicate by Damien Rice the same way, okay? So okay. Like, we've all been there. We've all <laughs> been there. Okay. Uh, Snow Patrol wasn't one for me, though, but. Um, 
Yeah, it's weird. Like, like, like I hesitate to like to to say like this. This might sound weird, but like it's kind of the last interesting quote unquote Snow Patrol record because, as Tara kind of hints at, it's yeah. very much the branch between them going to like mm. this kind of like not underground, so to speak, but at least coming out of the underground where they would have had a hardcore base. Mm. And then by the next record, when that comes out, and then when Chasing Cars gets picked up by Grey's Anatomy for the season finale of season two, and is watched by millions and millions of Americans who then go and look for it the next day. Then that's when they move from like into arenas and into stadiums, yeah. even like, like like in some cases. So it's kind of fascinating to kind of hear that like push pull on this one because Jack Flea was very much like, okay, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna physically move you around to different locations around this country when we record, and I'm gonna mentally move you around as well and make you write these kind of more commercial, more kind of radio friendly numbers, which they were palatable to do. They kind of said themselves they were like, we want to make a successful record. Yeah, I mean, exactly. they're probably sick of like being in a van and selling merch and like you know like not. Paul Noonan would never do that or allow that to happen. That's the do thing. you know what I mean? That's the thing. That's where we're. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, the yeah. difference yeah. here. Yeah, I think that is the difference. I think you've nailed that because I think it's like you know. A band with stadium and arena aspirations has to concede a degree of artistry and a degree of, like, you know, not necessarily integrity, but a bit more like, okay, well, we will write to this template and this formula. And it's fascinating on this record to kind of hear that kind of coalesce in as much as, you know, I, I can't believe I'm about to make this comparison, but you look at a track like Gleaming Auction, and I hear my buddy Valentine in that. Like, some of those yeah. guitar lines are laced with shoegaze. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yet, it's also a proto spitting games, which comes <laughs> like two tracks later, and that mm. itself is a proto. Like, what is the elite single from Eyes Open? Um, all I Have, You're All I Have, is that like the one? Where that's a lot more kind of, you know, radio. Mm. But, like, they're uh. getting there. And like and, and on this one alone, I mean, like, Run. Like, we've heard Run to death. Yeah. yeah. But it's a fucking good song. Yeah. Like, it, it works for the reasons that it works while also ticking those boxes. I think that song pushed them up onto the next level. It did, that, yeah. that, was, mm. that was probably mm. one of the main songs. And I remember the video as well with, like, yeah. the flare, yeah. like, yeah, a really simple video that yeah, was just in like all the channels. Nearly at the time. And, but those three middle songs, uh, Spitting Games... Chocolate and Run are, are really kind of Coldplay-esque you know that's, the, that's yeah. the sound that they yeah, were going to go for there so. and I wonder if about, I mean I guess they've done a more I don't know if you could call it a more subtle version of what Coldplay have done of completely I mean Coldplay are making completely different stuff to what they used to but I don't think I have. I don't feel like Snow Patrol have made such a change as mm. much as Coldplay have but if they haven't if they had been constantly making music like Coldplay have over the last years would they have changed so much as Coldplay has? Mm. It doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. I know they're releasing a new album this year, which I'm really curious to know what that's going to sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the likes of, um, what's his name, Johnny McDade, working with, the, with like, Ed Sheeran and everything, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if it's going to go down that route. But in saying that, yeah, God. I don't know. <laughs> does it, does I that bode well? No. Yeah, do you, I know. Do you reckon, um, because Ian Archer left... Just before this, I think there's only one or two songs that he mm. kind of co-wrote on it. That that might be why they were kind of maybe he might have been the Paul Noonan figure in it, and he went, no, 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 I'm not. I don't. That care. could have been a catalyst. Yeah, mm. I mean, but, I, I like Stephen, like you. I remember after it's over, we still have to clean up. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing them live again, early noughties. And they were just like, you know, your band that plays, we'll say Cuba in Galway, we'll say Whelan's in mm. Dublin. Yeah. And yeah. It, you remember going seeing, I remember seeing them live and thinking, they're great, they're a really fun band and they're a rock and yeah. indie band, but that's the, they've hit their level now. And I remember I was with my missus at the time and uh, Gary Lightbody came down off the stage and uh, he stood on the back of her chair. You know, one of these pub stools that has like, where you put your foot rest, but it goes all the way around so you can stand on the back of the chair. And he looked down her top and I thought, you're fucking. I'm not getting away with that. Oh my god! Yeah. What did I mean, you do? Did you punch him? Come I was on, like, I, I've just sort of pushed him off the chair, and he was like 23, 24, just been like a bit of a bloke, right? Still, yes. 
spot. And the very next time I saw him, it was Cat <laughs> Dealey saying, and now it's Snow Patrol and Run. <laughs> I was like, you're going nowhere, buddy. And then he's like, on see the UK. I was like, how did that wow. happen? Jesus. And there wasn't a thing as Twitter at the time where you could just go on yeah. and post a horrible and tweet about him. Yeah, like, I I just, it's uh, mad you know. to think they went I forgive him, though, from know, being a band are. with like a DJ doing scratchy bits and songs and all on Songs for Polar Bear to being Coldplay in the space of three albums. Like it, it's, it's very strange. But actually, I like you guys, I was I was around at the time and gone to Wheels, whatever. Um, Run was the Lob the Gob song of 2003. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Light up, light up. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it had it, it's, uh, you know, it was the Jesus. wonder wall of its time or whatever. Um, I know, know you're with me, mate, but I love you. Like, yeah, fucking hell, um, horrible. No, you've ruined the song for me, Stephen. No, but they kind of, they kind of had a, a thing, a similar kind I of trajectory one. to pulp, where you know, pulp had common people and suddenly everybody loved them, mm-hmm. but they had loads of stuff before, and but nobody's ever heard of it, and. So this happened with them with Run and Oh yeah, notes. there's like professional yeah. reviews of this record which refer to it as the debut album, you know, like yeah. it's that kind of thing. I mean like uh you mentioned Ian Archer, uh, one of his co writes, Somewhere a Clock is Ticking. I have to give that song a shout out, actually yeah, by, um, like my, my good buddy Dara of Funeral Suits, may they rest in peace. He uh one day, one night we were, we, were, we were drinking and he was like, he's like, have you ever given the song a proper go? And I was like, no, nah, I'm sure I did back in the day. But he was like, I think he compared it to M83, which is a massive compliment, I think. And it's a fucking brilliant song. It's absolutely brilliant. And they kind of recaptured a little bit surprisingly on that 100 Million Sons record where they had that very bloated closer. Like it's, you know, the lightning strike, it's called. It's three songs in one. Mm-hmm. And the first one, like it's broken into three parts. And the first one, What If This Storm Ends? is actually a phenomenal song. So they're still capable. And even like the title track of Fallen Empires was a bit kind of weird. It's a bit of a club song for some strange reason that they decided to do. But for the most part, this does mark the transition into a band that are very content to write for the radio, write for the TV, write for ads and all that kind of stuff. And as many tickets as you want to sell. And I don't know about Gary Lightbody's personality too much, but what I would say is having seen him live and, all, and that kind of thing, I never bought the the humble thing. I never bought the, you know, like, oh, you know, thanks so much and like the kind of shy awkwardness. I always saw in him a guy who desperately wanted to be like a massive, you know, yeah. Michael Hutchins style sexy rock star. And that didn't quite come off. But uh, yeah, Snow Patrol, I mean, like the fact that they're still going in some capacity does interest me because you do feel like they've kind of run out of road. Because it's like, what more can you really say with this? Band? Do you feel like it's because of Johnny McDade's finger in the main, very much mainstream world of like Ed Sheeran and being engaged to Courtney Cox and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. I feel bad saying that, but do you think that is it keeps them alive? Kind yeah, of like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, like, like when like you know Drake collaborates with loads of you know smaller but really popping artists especially in the UK to stay more relevant with younger people you know that kind of thing if, I guess some kind of comparison to that yeah I mean like like I, I, I saw them on the first night of their world tour when they were doing the last album and that must be like five years ago now at this age and it was and, and I was just like I was so shocked by like the crowd and I was and, and even like you know my friend Craig when he was working for Hot Press, he saw them in Marley Park or something once and like we, we, we like not that we were like people watching or kind of being weird about it but we were just kind of like what's the average diehard Snow Patrol fan like yeah. I mean like like this is your big night and like when they queued up chasing cars like one guy like just like threw his hands up and was like yes like as if they're not going to play it yeah uh. like, 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 so I just wonder like you know you're Finally. yeah like oh I didn't think they were going to do it like it's just like I guess if you're going to a Snow Patrol gig surely like that's like you know dinner a movie and a Snow Patrol gig you know like, like uh. it's just kind of you know like in, you know like the get a babysitter or something like like, like it just feels homogenous with them but but like I say at the same time they do shock me here and there with the odd genuine gem yeah. uh, and you're kind of like uh. do that 
do a fucking album of that, Gary. To me, listen to this, I had a very similar experience to you, Tara. I listened back to it and I was disappointed. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, shit, I remember this being a lot better. A lot better yeah. Yeah. And yeah. do you know what kills it for me? It's rhythmically so s- s- boring. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, it's the a very, very common rhythm for naughties indie bands, which is mm. That's what the bass is doing. I think a it's lot. actually the drums. The, a lot of the drums are just like two sticks on the snare. Yeah. Well, probably a combination of the two. And you can think of like, we could name 10 bands, 20 bands, 30 bands that did that in the noughties that are probably doing it in the 10s or whatever the hell we call this decade. Um, yeah, what is this decade called? Side note. The 10s? <laughs> <Still saying that. laughs> like, well, I've thought about that. Feel and I'm like, right. Yeah. 20s, I'm fine. 30s, yeah. 40s. Yeah. The 10s? No. The 10s sounds like a shit indie band that would have been around. But it has the to teens, be. surely. The teens. The oh, teens, God. yeah. Yeah, that could, that, that could work. Surely. That all right, we'll go with that. But not for now. <laughs> Eleven and twelve aren't teens. It's a short decade. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody uh, else find that this album was really long? Like uh, in that it was a struggle to listen to. I the, found the, the Bellix one album sitting. felt longer uh, than this. Surprisingly, I, 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 like this went by at a fairly okay clip because there are like some short ones in there, and also like again, I think you know John kind of alludes to that run of like well runs in there and chocolate and spitting games. They're so familiar in your ear right now uh, that they kind of blur into one, and you're just kind of like, mm. and then all of a sudden like you're at somewhere a clock is ticking. I will say I don't like the closing track. The closing track to me feels I think it's called same. It feels incredibly like, hey, write an album closer, would you? Like, it just feels totally like, and now we say goodnight. Like, it's very, <laughs> yeah. and like, that is the lost art, though. I mean, like, like a good opener and a good closer that actually ties in together and kind of, you know, presents an, a, a structured narrative. A lot of bands don't bother anymore. Like, a lot of uh, albums are just, here's 10 singles. I mean, Ed yeah, Sheeran is an interesting But Dave, you're a movie, you've reviewed many albums and many people on the civil have done that. Mm. I think album reviewers who are don't want to have to listen to a full album are very cognizant of track one and track 11 because they go, I'll listen to the first three songs then I'll listen to the last song and that I will write a never review that. based Pulling on that. <laughs> Pulling back the curtain here, man. <laughs> never done that. <laughs> Stephen, come I've on. I've never done that. I feel never a lot of that. album reviews are, I was like, well, you got to try, it's like, I made it the whole way through the album. My ears have bled, <laughs> but I've never done that. So if somebody was, was reviewing Respect. the Future Kings of Spain album, they would have listened to maybe the first two and maybe the last one. If they didn't Jesus. fancy it, if they wanted to, like, I think it's like, I don't know, because I've never written album reviews, but I've read a lot. Yeah. And I think it's something that reviewers do when they don't fancy listening to, like, a lot of songs that they might To be miss. fair, I'll say this. I'm not one of them. I don't think anyone at this table is. I'm going to trust that we are, we're, all, we're all professionals. But they are out there. And also, not only are they out there, but, like, like try and try, try and go to a gig, right? And try and get to know the journalist and see who's still there at the end, and then read their review, and then be like, "You weren't there when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was. That I, happens a lot. I, 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 I was at name any names. I was at Forbidden Fruit once, I and I was and names. I was walking into a tent to a gig, and there was a well-known journalist lying on the grass, and I walked into the tent to watch the band, and I took out my phone to take notes, and I had a notification on Twitter. I hit Twitter, went to the top, and there was that person who was lying outside in the grass going on about how he was at the front and that was amazing there you go you can't trust journalists is what we're trying to say I, I find live reviews <laughs> live reviews are the worst though They're, I, I, in terms of uh, I, Irish media uh, whatever about album reviews there's so many live reviews that you Thanks, read John. and apart from obviously Golden Black um, but there's so many so many so many uh, live reviews that you read and they don't they don't they, you might get like a paragraph at the end about the actual concert itself and the rest is all a bit of a background to the artist yeah, 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 like, yeah. where are you actually where are you actually at it um, so yeah live reviews really annoy the hell of me I don't know 
Okay, well, let's wrap up with our final album, a band that I didn't get to see live, I must confess, and a band that uh, yeah, provoke a strange reaction a lot of the time. This is The Thrills, so much for the city. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, the thrills. I mean, like, I put a thing on Twitter and I just went, like, the thrills, discuss. And the vast majority of responses were in the negative. Like, they, really? yeah, like, a lot of people, for whatever reason, seem to have a real bee in their bonnet about this mm. band. And, you know, I can see why, you know, like a bunch of, I'm assuming, privileged rich lads uh, from Blackrock in Dublin, you know, they're kind of the pre coronas coronas, in as much yeah. as, like, they went to San Diego mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and, like, kind of got it together. Then they went oh. to San Francisco. That's a low blow. Is it a low blow? To who? To the thrills. Yeah. Well, well, let's find out. I mean, like, they kind of, it's like, you could also get, like, if you want another low blow, I would say, like, you know, you, you could you could invoke the Stripes. I don't think the thrills are necessarily a gimmick band like the Stripes are, but they're clearly a band that were informed by their dad's record collection. I think, to be fair to the Stripes, they're still very young and they have potential. But the iteration that has been presented to us can't possibly be still that iteration when they're in the 30s and their 40s. I the think in fairness to the Trills, they did actually go to San Diego though, didn't they? They did. They went to San Diego, then they kind of came back. They went to the J1. Like, I, yeah. mean, that, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an honest... <laughs> they didn't write a song called San Diego Song though. <laughs> that was that was waiting for us. Uh, they, they wrote many songs about geographical locations in California though. No, they did. They wrote yeah. more than one. Like. The worst Who's to say they didn't go on a road trip? Yeah. Which? Who's to say they didn't go on a road trip? Entirely possible, but Look, I mean, like, and, and, what and, I'm getting and, at. And wrote the song, Your Love is Like Las Vegas. And that's the worst song title ever. Christ. But that's what people do on J1. They go, they go to Las Vegas. I'm surprised there isn't a song here about the burrito store that I, that I love in California, whose name I can't remember right now. What the hell is it? Um, anyway. Well, you know, the first song on the album is Santa Cruz, You're Not That Far. And I mean, like, it's they're always going to be kind of remembered as this kind of... Like, hang on, are these guys from Dublin? Like, why are they constantly about America? It's no surprise they ended up in the OC. Now, I haven't seen the episode, of course, as, you know, One Tree Hill for life. <laughs> as, uh, first three seasons, stop watching after that. But, because uh, it gets really bad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's just, like, they feel like a, like a band that just invite people to throw stones. And I think that might be unfair. I think that if you strip away the kind of the background, you strip away, like, you know, the kind of, even the look of the band, which is very The Strokes via Dublin 4, and Connor DC's vocals, which can be a bit heavy on the ear, like, uh, over the course like of an entire record. Elmo. A little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's definitely a bit wistful, that's for sure. But I do think that there's some great songwriting here, and I, I do think, like, you know, like, I think Big Sur is fucking great. Like, I mean, like, I think it, it, it does exactly what it needs to do. It's that kind of lilting sunshine kind of pop rock song. And if you're willing to kind of tune into their frequency, which again is like tuning into frequency, I presume, on a Cadillac in the 60s it, while driving down an American highway, then yeah, you're right at home here. But it can also be quite grating. And even like a song like Old Friends, New Lovers gets to a point where you're just like, I'm picturing him in the studio doing that my oh my thing. And I'm picturing like the technician like having a smoke break. <laughs> and... <laughs> And just coming back and being like, we got it, man. <laughs> like, oh, that's brilliant. I think we're done for the day. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel kind of churlish even saying that because One Horse Town is a belter. I think Santa Cruz is a lot of fun, but 
I just think that this uh, this band, it just they they invite mocking. Why? Why? It, but it's, it's just it's, me, Stephen. Sorry, me. Do they invite mocking? No, no, no. No, I, I think it's it's, it's how like it's it's quite hard to to like them though. Yeah. It's I mean with with that sound, knowing where where they're from, um. And looking at the song titles and you know listening to some of the lyrics, it's Please it's. Um, but I, I think it's too darky. <laughs> I think though it's, this is this is a real classic case of three singles making an album because I don't know. I'd say they sold a bucket load of, of, of copies of the album, and I'd say majority of people just mm. listened to Big Sur, One Horse Town, and Santa Cruz, and that that was probably yeah. it. You know. Yeah, they have a best of. Would you believe? They do have a second album though. So. They have a which third album. They have three third albums. Album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, th- the second album has uh, "Whatever Happened to Corey Haim," which yes. is a, oh, yes. which yeah. is a song that I struggle with and has unfortunately taken on some very grim uh, resonance since the passing of Corey Haim. And then, yeah, they had a third album called "Teenager," and I remember seeing like it advertised in Q magazine. So they still had like I guess a budget and you know a management company of sorts. And I, even like you know the thrills with teenager and here's a girl in her underwear like like and a, and a rock t-shirt whatever it is and a black and white photo in her bedroom, and you're just like yeah. like like even looking at that cover, and it, it being 2007 or whatever, I was like they're done. I was like this is it. It's they're, a bit creepy. They're gone. Yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis. But even in general, it was just it was just, it was just like, like, like 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 not even like the creep factor. It was more like how can the thrills possibly still be a thing in 2007 they felt very very like a like like not yeah. I, I would I wouldn't even say lightning in a bottle <laughs> because it's not like they went on to like you know play stadiums or anything but like it just felt like this kind of weird built in expiration date band and I don't know how much of that was just like the direction that they took because if you do look at the formation of the band they went through a lot of iterations before they got to the thrills like they they, they tried a lot of different things and they kind of they won some kind of uh, I think some Dave Fanning Battle of the Bands thing that was promoted fairly heavily like they won like two of the three big awards that were available to do it but then the other band that won a band I've never heard of I think there's a Fanning quote where he goes well you know like this band also shows the, the potential of, of these acts and apparently they, they, they got frustrated with even with winning this and they were like they, they went off to be like okay it's just not clicking it's not coming together then they went off, I guess, to San Diego and San Francisco, and it all kind of started to make Cha-ching. a bit. It all started to make a bit of sense. If, I feel like if Irish people weren't going to take to them, then that was a very bad start. Because to do it in the way that a lot of people did it, where they were just like, like they roll their eyes. I'm like, I've been out like, like in, in places, and like a thrill song comes on, and people fucking react. They're like, what? Yeah. But then I see the same people, like you know, two minutes in, being like, yeah, you know what, it's actually all right. They didn't want to give them the chance, and I'm not saying let's all give the thrills a chance. Let's make that comeback happen. But <laughs> it's why, is it, happen. Uh, why is it on the the list? Why is it on the list? Because I feel like it's a uh, good for debate, and I feel like it's good for like a uh, reflection of the time, and I also feel like it kind of is interesting to compare or, or, or draw a comparison with the other kind of guitar led. Because like, because we were saying like earlier on, I think off mic, we were saying like it's if you look at the list, it's a bit lads and guitars or lads and guitars with guitars like it's a bit yeah, where's the pop women, where's the women week. like you know yeah. like like yeah. Where, where's hip hop where's rap there's not much of that and I feel like 2003 was very 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 heavy in a white Irish guy with a guitar like it just that's was, was uh, yeah the uh, world yeah. that was globally what yeah. was the situation guitar actually, bands yeah. were yeah. you know Red Hot Chili Peppers were doing yeah. their thing U2 Coldplay mm-hmm. like these were the biggest bands in the world and guess what they are still the biggest guitar bands oh. in the world. Yeah. Like that genre never moved on. Maybe because they kind of smothered the light for all the other bands. Just I have got some insight on this, Dave, and okay. I want to share it with the room, okay? Do it. Do and it. I did do ask it. the question is why is this here? Because I don't feel like this table 
would have actually chosen this album. I'm not questioning your <laughs> methods, okay? I do think it's still an it's interesting one. questioning my one. methods, but... I think it's an interesting one to discuss. I was there the night the Thrills got signed, all right? It was in the Temple Bar Music Centre, and the reason I was there was because I was in the support band on the night. And the reason I was in the support band on the night was because Daniel Ryan, we won uh, 2FM, the, probably the one that you can't, like, some bad one this What team. was the name of the band? It was called Waif. It's not the band. Okay. Thank God. I'm sorry, I was going to leave the studio. We won this 2FM Battle of the Bands and one of the lads got chatting to Daniel Ryan and they were both going to Black Rock College and there was that kind of connection. Daniel Ryan, who is the guitarist in The Thrills and also now manages Little Green Cars, um, rang Andrew and said, do you want to support us? We were playing a gig. I rang Daniel Ryan to do get the spec for the backline. So as a, as I would, I kind of asked him, I'd never heard of the thrills. I was like, tell me a bit about your band. He was like, so we've been practicing for two years, but we've never played a gig. And I was like, oh, looks like we're going to show you guys up on the night. <laughs> we've played a lot of gigs. I didn't say that, but I thought it. I thought, this is going there. to be awesome. <laughs> so we rocked up and uh, Temple Music Centre, we'd never played there before. We were really excited about it. Sound check. Now, Temple Music Centre at that time, the bar was separate to the venue and you actually yeah. had to open this small little door to get in and nightmare. get out. But it was actually it was. much better because you couldn't hear the bar. The bar clinking. Right. Yeah. So we were thinking, uh, like, this place is going to be absolutely stuffed and we're going to do this, like, kind of, you know, like every support band wants. We watched them the sound, in the sound check. We're like, these, like, every support band are, you would say, teenage shithead support bands. We're like, these lads are shit. We're going to so- show them up. And then we came to do our <laughs> set, and literally the entire venue was empty. Except I went into the bar just before we started playing, and it was rammed 37 A&R people came to see them that night that's how much hype was about mm. them because they hadn't gigged because they sent their their tapes out they had the right connections and every record company and every label and every sub-label wanted to sign them because they had the sound that was going to be incredibly commercial and radio friendly and afterwards they were really good on the night I have to say um, we went into the green room afterwards and it was just literally uh, standing room only every single A&R was there trying to schmooze Connor DC and Daniel Ryan and they signed for I don't even know who they signed for at that time maybe it was Virgin I'm going to say but they signed a big deal and good luck to them but the, I do think they never had a grounding they didn't have a fan base because mm-hmm. they signed they hit the radio Nobody had, they'd never, they no didn't have a following. felt loyal to them. Yeah, they'd not follow them. play before. So like, I think it was a cynical exercise by a record company to, I won't say exploit, but like take what they had, sell lots of records, which was still a thing that was done mm-hmm. at the time, um, get lots of radio play, earn royalties and all that kind of crack. And ultimately, when it came to album two, all those people had changed their attention span to something else because yeah. they'd never connected with the band on a live setting. I think uh, Tara, that wasn't. I think that was spot on. It's like, like if if you don't have like a loyal fan base, if you don't have anyone to kind of go with you on this journey, because yeah. that like that actually fills in a lot of gaps. Because I mean, like I was wondering where, like, because they just they did come out of nowhere, like flat out, just like Poof, here they are, and here they are with this sound, which is you know you're, like you might hate it, you might like it, and then yeah, they they just like they just like kind of plummeted. So yeah, I mean, I guess. Can I ask Tara a question? Because I know you hated uh, Snow Patrol when you listen back. <laughs> do, you, do you remember this album the first time? And what did you feel when you listened to it back? 
I only listened to the first time I listened to the Thrills was maybe 2012 or 13 when I first met Little Green Cars. When I I used to play music and I supported them at a gig. Um, it turns out now I'm, I'm good friends with them, but then I realized their who their manager was blah blah blah, and then they were telling me he's in that band. I listened to them. I actually do like the album. I yeah, I do. I think um, it sounds good. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Okay. I do, no, I do like it. I think it sounds exactly like I remember it. Yeah. As in, like, I didn't feel like a kind of final straw where it was, like, disappointment. Yeah. I like it, but I hadn't actually listened to it in 2003. I only listened to it in the last week, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But I would have, like, gone on to, usually just gone on to Spotify, looked at their top songs and just listened to them to get a vibe of who they were. But, yeah, no, I actually do, I do enjoy that album. The sound, like, it's well produced. The sound is timeless and it does kind of hold up that way, but maybe... Songwriting's good, though, as well. Songwriting is good, yeah. Mm. No, well, the singles are good and then I think the quality drops a fair bit after that, but it, it would have been a great EP, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, there is definitely filler there, but yeah. it's there's nothing criminal But then, it. like, as you say, <laughs> maybe it was pushed on them too soon, like... I think you know? so. I remember Jerry Ryan kind of appropriated them at the time as well on 2FM and, it be, he, you know, he was like... You could feel like he was going to push them. And he had them in for a session. And honest to God, they were so good. I actually just remember listening at home and I was thinking, the sound on that, like Studio 8 and RT is a really great place to record a music session. Mm -hmm. And it was just so well done. And I remember thinking, I want to find out who the producer of that session was because I thought it was just so well produced. And I actually think it was Pete Holiday from Radiation Space. Space. Um, And that was a time when RT would bring in outside producers like kind of like Pete and they've got loads of great in-house producers as well but I just remember thinking fuck that's so good everything sounds so great and in fairness to them they had the chops to actually deliver it live mm. as well as like t- two years obviously practicing 11 songs probably studs <laughs> yeah. them but yeah. the, the fans weren't there yeah yeah okay we'll take a quick break we'll come back and we'll try and see if we can pick a winner so to speak from this bunch Alright, so a uh, contentious episode as always. Tara, what are you going with? I uh, this is really difficult for me because the album I know the most is the one I say people not to go and listen to. Um, being the Snow Patrol one. Um but I'm gonna say Bell X One because I actually from listening to everybody talking about it, I actually would like to go and give them a bit more time because I still haven't even given them much time because I think I've just automatically categorized them into something uh, so I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, I can take it or leave it. But yeah, I'm going to say Black Swan. Okay, Stephen? Uh, I'm going to say Future Kings of Spain. Okay, I thought you might, but uh, that's a fair enough fair I enough. should shout. go and see Black Swan live. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I've never, never never, done it, so I must actually get around to that. John Barker? Um, I'm going to go with, like, out of the five albums on, on the shortlist, probably the, the one that most people wouldn't be too familiar with is Simple Kid, which is the one I kind of vouch for earlier on so that might be worth revisiting or even being introduced to if, if people listening to this podcast aren't familiar with it um, but outside of that I'd probably go with yeah Bellex winner Future Kings of Spain as well which I have only actually just discovered as a result of doing this podcast so thanks very much mm. but Simple Kid gets my number one vote very good and that's alright uh, <laughs> Paddy I'm kind of jealous of the fact Stephen hated an album on the list because I didn't hate any of them and I've I like it's fun to like hate on music we you know come back again <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no um, and I actually thought you were going to because Stephen had teed it up at the start he was like there's one album that makes my boils my piss <laughs> I thought fuck it's Future Kings of Spain I've never said boil my piss no not, 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 not quite uh, 
Um, I am misquoting you there. Uh, like it's a good a turn of phrase, though. I yeah, I like, I like that. It, I've yeah. never heard yeah. it before. And I, I like it. No. I don't know. Frank Turner said it to me once when I interviewed him, so that's where I first heard it. And I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. Um, Future Kings has been. Like, I mean, just it's just a very evocative album for me personally, and I do think people will go back and will get something from it 14 years later. Very good. Um, I would put in a definite honourable big shout mention for Bell X1 because that's a record I very much enjoy kind of discovering properly for the first time. And if, like me, you were so ignorant to just go, oh, they're shit. They're not. They're great. But, uh, yeah, I'm going Future Kings of Spain because I just love that record and I, I, I think it has some incredible songs that have stayed with me down through the years. And I think that, you know, if you had to pick just one, that's the one I would go with. But I think that there's worthy shouts for pretty much everything in this list. So, uh, to my panel, in the absence of Kieran McGuinness, thank you so much, Tara, Stephen, John, and Paddy. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you for cool. Pleasure. Hope you'll all still be friends at the end of this. Maybe. Don't look. I'm diving over the head and do a hook. And to play us out, we'll go with uh, one of Paddy's favourite songs of all time. We'll go with Phoenician Blinds by Future Kings of Spain. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. This has been The Revisit. I'll see you again. Hello, sorry for the interruption, uh, Alan here. Um, just before we play that song by Future Kings of Spain, Kieran uh, had a chat with Brian McMahon from Future Kings of Spain. So, uh, Brian McMahon, thanks very much for uh, talking to me here on the the revisit. Brian McMahon from Future Kings of Spain. Um, Hi, Kieran. How's it going? So, um, I think that uh, as we said, Future Kings of Spain, the album, two thousand and three, uh, released in August. 2003 and um it's our it was our album to revisit um this week um and uh i think i wasn't part of the 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 recording of the podcast but i think that from everyone's reactions it's it's an album that they're all very fond of um i'm just wondering how 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 did it um like was it long in the writing or or what was the kind of run-up to the album recording well i suppose with with any album you said 2003 it, it, it's a long time ago that's 14 years ago I do remember the date because I have to think for dates I think it was Friday which is easy because it's always Irish album releases are on Friday but it was Friday I think August 3rd maybe 2003 but I think um, uh, yeah it, 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 it's it's like any other album you know that someone records like it's it, it's your first album it's the sum of all you've done I suppose since you began to write and began to demo and began to record and uh, so it, it may be not as kind of a cohesive a piece of work as maybe the second album was but um, yeah so I suppose the band formed around 2000 and uh, shortly thereafter you know we began writing songs a lot of which the earlier songs a lot of which ended up on the album you know we didn't really sort of drop too many maybe we just couldn't write couldn't write enough of them but um, yeah, we just uh, blasted away in a rehearsal room and then you know teased to test them out with some gigs and whatever else and you know elicited the, the interest of a record company in Britain and you know it all came together quite quickly over three years that sounds like ridiculous but you know we recorded the album in October I think it was September maybe 2002 in New York it took about um, it took nearly I don't know maybe nearly three months to record it here which is ridiculous when you think back the money that would have cost us and um, yeah so you know it, it's uh, I think it was 11 songs and uh you know, it was a set almost that we used to play with as well. So the the, the opener of Takes Everything is it's almost like, you know, a little kind of um, disparate from the rest of the other songs because it was sort of our, our opener. It was like, well, we grab people, by, you know, grab their attention first off and then we ease it into some sort of dreamy alternative, you know, pop rock, for want of a better expression. And, uh, and we close it out with Upside Down. So it was almost our, uh, it was almost our set as well, you know. 
And was it the kind of thing where you kind of produced the album with, it was produced by Ted Nicely, um, yeah. and it was mixed by Ellie Janney from Girls Against Boys. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of rock there, isn't there? I mean, was there a lot of production? Like, did, were they involved in the production, or you know? Yeah, well, Ted, 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 he, Ted, he was quite hands on. Um, you know, shortly before before the before we went to record it, so we we started to record it in I think September two thousand and two. So it was most of September, sorry, yeah, two thousand two, most of September, most of October, and all of sorry, sorry, most of September, all of October, and uh, almost all of November. And uh, I, I'd been in a car crash shortly, be just before we went over, and I was I was badly damaged, like you know, and uh, went went in a neck brace. And Ted sort of took this as a as a positive because he said you won't over-rehearse the songs and you almost leave them open for me to come in and mess around with them, you know? Mm. I, don't, I don't really remember if that really happened too much, you know? But it was very much like, well, we're in New York or with a professional producer, albeit underground and indie, but, you know, uh, he had uh, worked with, like, you know, many bands that we'd liked and all the rest. And he came, him and Eli worked together too, and another guy called Jeff Samas from a DC band called Edpo. Mm. Uh, so, they, they, they didn't, like, he, he wasn't a producer per se, he didn't, like, put his Todd Rundgren stamp on something or like that. He didn't do that, he just kind of facilitated us, you know, in his best, you know, he could for to get the sounds out of us, you know, and knowing that we were kind of new to uh, a big studio, I suppose. So he wasn't, like, uh, the, the, you know, a producer, producer, you know what I mean? He was just, like, a good recorder, maybe, or, yeah. you know, but he, he, he was good, he was full of ideas and stuff, you know. I don't remember arrangements changing too much. Maybe little bits in a few songs. Maybe um, think back now. I think maybe hanging around. Maybe just as a little arrangement change or something. You know, or swap something about. And we, you know, we play it through, and instantly we think, oh yeah, that's that's actually sound way better than I could have ever done if we hadn't swapped it around. You know, so yeah. you know, and he kind of won our trust, I suppose, early on with some sort of pre-production over in the York as well. So we we knew that he was on our side. It wasn't just all about. And so the songs, like the songs coming up to the album, they would have been yeah. well played. I mean, you you would have yeah. been kind of like there wasn't anything written in the studio. You just went in and bang. You you put down this the hits kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe just put, I mean the last two songs I think that we uh, that we wrote before the album were upside down and face. I know maybe to, maybe even one look. Maybe those so. Two are one look and upside down are kind of like they're you know they're slow paced or you know you know and uh, face and now isn't at all it's more in the vein of uh, a place for everything, everything. yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's up there you know so um, but they were they were the last so they were the freshest I suppose going into the studio but everything else had been you know road tested to, to death over the you know since since late two thousand and since late two thousand since the band kind of uh, started to play gigs or whatever but um. Yeah, so there was no studio uh, writing, I suppose, apart from maybe the odd rearrangement of... Uh, uh, all I can think of really that's coming to me is um, Hanging Around. Hmm. You know, yeah, that's, that's really all, you know, so much as what Ted was offering as advice, but, you know, we could none of us could play keyboards or anything like that at the time, or not proficiently, you know, enough yeah. to, sort of, so that we wouldn't be wasting time, like, trying, oh, I can get it, oh, you know, I can get it, you know, that one of the, we, we couldn't sort of go down that road. We were spending enough time and money as it was to record the damn thing. 
but um, so Eli, uh, he, Eli, we'd sort of whistle or sing parts or suggest parts, and Eli just would throw them down and just we'd test them out. And so I don't think he even got credited for doing keyboards. Now that I think of it. But the songs, um, I mean, straight out of the traps, you know, like, you know, you seem to, you know, you, you got the, the media award for, for best new band, you know, the album seemed to do really well in, um, in uh, you were signed to Japanese label GMT Records, and that seemed to go great. And, you know, I think it was in the top 10 of the UK uh, rock charts. And, and then you were on tour with Biffy Clyro and Muse and Idlewild and The Strokes. So, I mean, what was the, the kind of, um, what was the year? the year and a half, whatever it was, uh, touring the album. What was that like afterwards? Uh, it was, yeah, just very exciting, I suppose. You know, uh, got an awful lot in a short space of time and maybe because it all happened so quickly, we kind of thought, well, this is it. This is how it's supposed to be. And, you know, it'll always be like this and better. And uh, that didn't obviously uh, work out. Uh, but, uh, you know, so uh, it, it was a busy time and uh, it always just felt strange to go to, to go to places where, like, you put into some place in Wolverhampton and some kid, like, you know, going oh god I love that song whatever and you're just that was always hard you know, I don't think I think it happened Kieran so fast and you know ended so fast that we never could go, quite get our heads around the fact that people liked it at all you know um, yeah but uh, it, yeah it, you know it, the, the Japanese experience is fantastic because uh, just it, it sold very well over there and you know but uh, we never got a chance to go back because of whatever happened later on down the line but um, you know um, yeah I mean, you're saying that it ended so fast. I mean, do you think that um, do you think that it was a short, like the album was, because it wasn't another album until um, your your 2008 album. So I mean, yeah. did, did everything just I mean, nervous system came out two or three years afterwards or four years afterwards? Sorry. Yeah, well, it was recorded quickly after the other one. It's just that uh, through no fault of our own, we weren't uh, the label weren't in the position to put it out. And, you know, you, you put relationships under pressure. You know, other things start to sort of, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, raise their head, and you know, you just, you know, there was other tensions and whatever else that crept in, and it was a difficult period. But yeah, I, I, you know, we, we, yeah, we recorded the second one in, in two thousand and five, so we were kind of doing the whole, yeah, get a first album recorded in like two thousand and two, as in two thousand and three, with, with with all the follow the singles that sort of lead in. And then we were gonna use gonna use the same kind of template as it were for the second one, but it just, it just, you know, just didn't happen for for various reasons. Which it's related to this album. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny because that was a question. It was like, what happened? You know, these guys, it was kind of all set up and um, it was kind of a, a what happened. And then one of the guys uh, in, in the piece was talking about how, you know, he was, kind of, it got to kind of 2000 and kind of 10 or whatever. And I think you you announced your breakup. And it had kind of been... Even earlier than that, maybe 2009 or 2008, it was whispers. But I, I just, I don't think we did anything prior to the... To, you know, when when there was an announcement that we were finished, I don't. We hadn't done anything for probably eight months anyway, so it yeah. came as a shock. In fact, it was it, 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 got, it, it didn't even get that much attention. If you know what I mean, we were kind of like, you know, it wasn't like so much death by a thousand cuts, but it really was like we were, you know, we were just, you know, finished up. And so, <laughs> well, I mean, it happens. I mean, I mean, I'm, I, there's a million, there's a million bands yeah. that. There's a million bands and a million similar stories. Yeah, there. yeah, of course. And but I mean, oh, all you need, to, all you need to be hopeful that you've done is, is re, you know, release a great album. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that oh, that's there isn't a million of those. So that's that's yeah. that's really good. So if you no, went, I mean, if if you kind of went back now, I mean, I mean, are the things in in the 
around the album or around the release of the album that you'd change or or is it the kind of thing where you're kind of look that's the way it was and that's the way I would have done it well I suppose it, 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 it's, a, it's a strange it, it's a really good question because you know would you change things and yeah there's the obvious choice well maybe you know you know maybe go on a different label or something you know and you know you could, that maybe sort of intimates that there was issues with the label and there was but that's, that's just that's just like you know a part of the course in the music business even then maybe not so much now but certainly then it was kind of pre the, the new model as it were you know and uh, mm. but you know they equally sort of you know uh, demonstrated you know uh, you know clear interest and commitment to the band so much as that they you know got us on board and they were just an independent from the UK but they got us you know up and running and they you know they really sort of put a lot of money and faith into us you know even to get that record on you know so so they'd always be appreciative for that you know but, you know equally they got to a place that they couldn't sort of sustain sustain us or maybe we couldn't sustain us. I don't really know you know ask these questions a million times I'm, I, I'm quite amazed that people are even talking about the album 13 years later because we don't think about it like that you know, we don't meet up an awful lot but you know, or 14 years later, we don't sort of think about it, oh, wasn't it great to have recorded a great album, or, you know, I, I wouldn't say, honestly, I've even listened to it in its entirety at all, since it happened, you know, since, you know, since, since the time, I And, um, Oh, I, I guess the question is, like, for 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 musicians, um, oh, have you continued? Have you all continued in music? Or, um, I know that you were talking about being on tour. So, what what's what's the band, uh, not collectively or, you know, individually doing it now? Well, I sp- well, collectively we're doing nothing as as a band. Uh, as future Spain, because they are they they are gone, like you know, for a, a long long time. They really haven't been that active, maybe for nearly like. This 2007 was the last active year, really, like active year, I suppose. And even at that, that was kind of uh, us trying to, trying to sort of, you know, breathe some life into it again in a kind of an independent way because we'd split with the label and whatever else. But, um, so collectively, we do nothing, but we've all, we've all, we've all, we've all continued to play in some shape or form. Uh, I suppose myself, Joe, and Tony were in Lazarus Soul over a period of time, and Tony is still in Lazarus Soul. Joe, um, Joe has, I don't know, he's just, he's he's a prolific um, uh, producer of stuff, you know, and uh, output, and he, not that it gets heard by anybody, you know, but he's, uh, he'll always be sending me stuff, and it goes from, I don't know, he's, he, he works under funny names, like The Recent Riots, and it's like dance music, and, you know, remixing, and things like that, you know, and, but he'll still, like, you know, send me, like, some sort of acoustic song idea, to, like, to see, like, there's this, you know, but not, not to, to get together or form a band or do anything like that with it. But um, he, he's, he, he just, he, like, you're a songwriter as well. You just write because he just writes, and, you know, people take off and people, whatever, go swimming and all those things <laughs> and play five-side football, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just do these things, you know. And myself and Carol were another band called Bad Self and we recorded a record there in uh, 2000. And, yeah, like in classic fashion, we recorded in 2012 and then we kind of, Secretly released it in 2014 and played about eight shows in support of us over five years. You know what I mean? So we're not <laughs> we're hardly prolific, you know, in that you know in that regard. But um, I just was recently out with Tony uh, for the first time on a stage with Tony since 2008, um, uh, and with a friend of mine, Darren Barrett, who was on the same label we were signed to years ago. He was a band called Speed Racer. He lives in Norway now, so we just did a tour around Ireland with him and Joe Chester, which is another friend of ours. He was also a Speed Racer. And uh, that would be in the first time I was on stage with Joe in about 12 years because I played on his first album. So we, we played on other people's records and all sorts of things like that. So we still do a bit like that. But in terms of the FKOS, no, we haven't, uh, we 
Well, um, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Brian, for your time. Um, it's a brilliant album, and it comes highly recommended from everyone at Headstuff and the Revisit. So, um, I, I give it a I give it a downbeat enough endorsement, do I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I think that it's yeah, I do, I do. the I artist and the art is often a very different. Yeah. You know, I must get I must get it out someday, or like you know, maybe invite the lads around for like one of those listening parties or something. You know, get the lads around, have a few beers, and uh, that, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about old times. Have our have our kids listen to it. And have them trust their ads gone off, so I've had a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much. Karen, nice to talk to you. Nice talking to you. Cheers.
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. This is for Bush Gardens Williamsburg. Spot titled BGW slash 21 slash census slash SN slash July 4th slash save up to 40% slash FC slash tickets slash radio. It's a 30 second spot and the code is VBGW 021039R. Nothing ignites your senses like the European adventures and world-class thrills of Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Hear the gravity-defying drops and speed of our record-breaking coasters. See the world's most beautiful theme park as you stroll through our elegantly themed villages and treat all your senses to the live concerts, nightly fireworks and coasters in the dark at summer nights, June 25th to July 29th. Save up to 40% on tickets and fun cards. Hurry, offer in soon. Restrictions apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.